Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. In our Advent Sermon Series, The Language of Christmas, we are unpacking five ways to show love to one another. Physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, and giving of gifts. Jesus lived a life of perfect love for God's people. The greatest responsibility and opportunity for a Christ follower is to practice loving God and neighbor like he loved us first. It's our prayer that the love of Christ will be the greatest gift in your home this Christmas. Now, tune in as we study what love is and how to show it. Well, if I were to say some names to you, you undoubtedly would know who some of these names are. If I were to say Mother Teresa, for example, you know that that's someone who developed uh, ministries like the uh, Missionaries of Charity and spent her entire life in Calcutta, India, serving the poor and the downtrodden and those who had uh, diseases like leprosy and uh, TB and other diseases that many uh, did not want to be around uh, those people, but it was something that compelled her to do that. Then there's William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce is a name that you may or may not be familiar with. In fact, few people have done more to end slavery than William Wilberforce, specifically in England. Wilberforce was a member of the British Parliament, and he really made it his life's work to stop the trading of slaves in England. And he actually died in 1833, Three days before his death, though, the Emancipation Bill was heard in committee that went on to pass that outlawed slavery and ended slavery in England in 1834. So three days before he actually died, that bill was was heard. And then there's Corrie ten Boom. Maybe you're familiar with Corrie ten Boom. If you're not, I encourage you to look her up. One of the most incredible books I've ever read in my entire life is The Hiding Place that profiles the story of Corrie ten Boom. But she was a Dutch clockmaker in World War II, and at that time, the Nazi by force were taking Jews and placing them in concentration camps, and Corrie ten Boom and her family opened up their home, uh, not only their own home, but helped up the homes of many other people and actually developed kind of a, an underground system where Jewish families could be escorted to safe places, and it's believed that about 800 Jewish people were saved as a result of Corrie ten Boom's efforts. And then there's maybe some names that are a little bit lesser known. Uh, Nicholas Loewinger, probably never heard of Nicholas. Nicholas is now a young adult, but over 15 years ago, at age five, Nicholas's mother took him to a homeless shelter. And at this homeless shelter, he noticed that there was a kid at the shelter that didn't have shoes. And so Nicholas said, I want to do something about that. And by age 12, Nicholas had started a foundation that's now referred to as Gotta Have Soul, to ensure that there is no kid in a homeless shelter that would ever go without shoes. And to date, over 100,000 kids have been provided shoes in 36 states uh, by a recipient of Nicholas's servant heart. And there's somebody here locally that you may or may not know. Her name is Debbie Nolan. Debbie Nolan is the director of the Nolensville Food Pantry, and to know Debbie is to know someone who really stands in the gap for people in our community and our surrounding communities that are struggling with food insecurity. In fact, Debbie is the director of the Nolensville Food Pantry, and just yesterday they had 220 families in our area that were provided some really significant help at Christmas this year, and many of you guys stepped up and helped meet some of those needs. One thing that Debbie did with the entire group this year is she provided a really nice care pack for every family that had household goods and laundry detergent and uh, toilet paper and paper towels, all those kinds of things. And many of you guys stepped up. You may have noticed the big mounding pile of 
paper towels that we had out there for a couple of weeks. And so thank you for bringing carloads, literally, of things that we were delivered over there that helped, you know, supplement those packages. And Debbie is just an amazing uh, woman of God who serves people so well. We've had her here at our church before sharing about the food pantry. But what do all these people have in common? Whether you have heard their name or whether this is the first time today that you have heard their name, all these people have in common a heart that's dedicated to service, to serving people. These folks have a deep-rooted commitment in their life to say, I want my life to matter in terms of serving other people. I want to be involved in my energy, my time, my resources, and making other people's lives better. And they do it because Jesus has changed them, and as an overflow of Jesus changing their heart, they want to serve others. Now, maybe you've noticed this, but serving is something that kind of flies under the radar, doesn't it? In fact, we don't really have award shows for serving. It's kind of counterproductive to, you know, acknowledge the people who are doing all the serving behind the scenes. We have award shows for everything, and we profile people who have done amazing things or who have created amazing art or movies or whatever the case might be, and we give them awards and accolades for the things that they have done. But rarely do we have award shows to recognize the servants among us? In fact, if we have one, it's probably tucked away on some cable network. You never watch it, and you never talk about it on Monday morning at work. But we are known, or we should say we, we seek to know people who have impressive accolades, and serving sometimes flies under the radar. Rightly so, it should fly under the radar. Because as a servant, those of you who say, I wanted my life to be marked by serving, you're probably not wanting a pat on the back for the ways that you step up and serve other people in your company. You know, maybe rewards are given for people who bring in the most business. Is an award given for the person who has the the most servant mindset in that company? I'm not sure. So today is all about looking at this idea of serving. And what does my life look like? What has to happen in my life for my life to be marked by a servant attitude and servant leadership and a servant spirit? We're ultimately going to look at how Jesus modeled this. And and we're going to seek to ask ourselves this question, does this have anything to do with Christmas? Does serving have anything to do with Christmas? Spoiler alert, it has a lot to do with Christmas. Because this is the season that we celebrate love coming down to us. Jesus among us, Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus tells us he did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So know that I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. I don't think it's by accident that you're here. I'm going to ask God to show us specifically what it is that he wants to show us today as we seek to grow in our, just our, our abilities to be a pre- people who are known by our acts of service. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for just this time to be together. We're so grateful again, God, for who you are. Thank you for worship. Thank you for this season. And thank you, God, for just assembling the people in this room today. And I pray that you would Mold us and stretch us and make us more and more like you today. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Now, for those of you who are new to Rolling Hills today, a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you are here with us. You have found us in the fourth week of our Christmas series called The Language of Christmas. And maybe you've been tracking with us for the past couple of weeks. And you've noticed uh, that this might seem like a little bit of an unorthodox Christmas series because we're talking about the language of Christmas, and particularly we're talking about these five love languages, the way that you and I show and receive love. But in reality, in the 
person of Jesus, we see him loving people so well. He embodies love, and he loves people through all of these things that we're talking about. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the power of physical touch. Jesus was not afraid to touch people that were going through illnesses and to, and to heal them. We talked about uh, two weeks ago the, the power of words of affirmation. Jesus was always speaking truth to his hearers, but he was doing so in a way that let them know he saw them and he valued them. And last week we talked about quality time. Now Jesus spent time with people and he encouraged people to sit at his feet and to sit under his teaching. And today we're looking at acts of service. And as a parallel resource, we've been unpacking uh, this, this resource by Dr. Gary Chapman called the five love languages. And many of you may be familiar with that. And what he says is that we have a primary way that we kind of show love and primary way that we receive love. And those are given to us by God because we're made in the image of God. And God shows us the, the, the beauty and all of those things. And so some of you are, have kind of tracked with us and say, hey, that's my love language. I, I know that that's the way that I show love or that's the way that I most receive love. And today we're talking about acts of service. And And so if acts of service is your love language, you are going to feel really, really loved when someone does something for you, okay? When someone notices that the house is not clean and they clean it, that fills your tank up. Or when someone says, you know what, I did this, you didn't even have to ask me to do it, but I'm serving you because I love you. That's what this this gift of acts of service is all about. And I'm excited for us today to take a moment to acknowledge why this is important, but also to see it very physically acted out for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that we'll all be challenged and changed in this process today. So if you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. You're also going to see these words up here on the screen. You can follow along with me on an app, your mobile device as well. But in Matthew chapter 20, I'm going to pick up in verse 20 and read all the way down to verse 28. So then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it that you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and at the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't even know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup? I am going to drink. We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's paint this picture a little bit. You have these 12 disciples, Jesus' 12 disciples, they're together. And one of the disciples, or two of the disciples, James and John, their mom's name is Salome. And her name's not mentioned particularly here in Matthew, but in other gospel accounts, we know her name is Salome. And so she's the mother of James and John, and she approaches Jesus with a somewhat unusual request. She comes to Jesus and says, I notice that there's nobody sitting on your right and your left hand. So I think my two sons are really awesome, James and John. So would it be possible that they could have the places of prominence, that they could sit at your right and sit at your left? Now, this is not a, a, a unique request per se because these kind of things happen, but it's a request by this mom that says, I think my sons should be in a place of prominence in your kingdom. And you thought your mom was pushy. 
I mean, anybody have a mom that made them come out and play on the piano, what they had been learning? You know, come on out, Johnny. We know that you've just learned chopsticks. There's a whole house load of people here, and they really want to hear it. Come on out, Johnny, you know. Or, you know, James, come on out. You worked so hard. You memorized the Declaration of Independence. Everybody wants to hear it. Come on, stand up here in front of everybody at Christmas, right before we eat, you know, and recite the preamble to the Constitution. We all want to hear it. Or Ian, remember that trophy you won? You haven't showed it off yet. Go, go get that trophy. Some of y'all had that mom that believed in you and thought that all of your accomplishments should be on display for everybody to see. In fact, that probably made you a really good mom. And some of you moms right now are kind of cowering in your seat. You're like, he's talking about me. But here you have this mom who says, my sons are important to me, and therefore I think my son should be important to you, and so would it be possible that they could be flanking you on the right and the left in your kingdom? To which Jesus responds, well, I should say, this made the other disciples very indignant, it says, and they're looking at James and John. I can't believe that this request was made, and I can't believe that they're actually going to want to go through this as well, saying, yeah, we can, we can drink the cup that Jesus wants us to drink, but Jesus says, you don't really know what you're asking me for. You don't really know the magnitude of this request because you're not prepared to go through what I'm going through. And even if it was my decision to decide who could sit on my right and my left, I don't think it's the right question. And Jesus references back to, to to this group and says, I don't really think this is the right question. And this is something that you and I have to realize. And we have to realize it based out of this text, and you see this here on your screen, is that what you want is not always what's best. Have you seen this in your life? <laughs> Have you ever had a moment in your life when you realize what you want is actually not best? Or maybe what you even want for your family is actually not what's best? The, the, the dreams that you may have or the vision that you may have not, may not actually be what's best according to God's standards. Back in verse 21, Jesus says, what is it you want? And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at the left in your kingdom. She, what she thought what actually be best for her sons is not what Jesus said would be best for her sons. What you think may be best for your life might be markedly different from what Jesus would actually say is better. For those of you that have children, you may think that you know what's actually best for your family because the world tells you this is what should be best for your family. The world says this is the agenda that you should have for your family. The world says this is what your family dynamic should look like. And perhaps there's something that's just not matching up with what you see in Scripture. And you're at that junction right now where you're thinking, should I go the way of the world or should I go the way of Jesus? Because the way of the world seems very common And the way of the world seems like that's the path that I should take, but it's possible that what you and I want is not always what's best. This little snapshot, I love this little snapshot because it has so many implications for us. Because if I think that I know what's best, and what I think is best is not rooted in Scripture, it's not best. That's the harsh reality. If I think I know what's best for my family, if I think I know what's best for our future, if I think I know what's best for finances, if I think I know what's best for dot, 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 and it doesn't match up with what God actually tells me in his word is best, then I should flee from that. Because just because everyone else says it's best doesn't mean it's actually best. Because there's always an agenda that the world has 
And there's an agenda that God gives us through his word. Now, lest we forget, I mean, this is the Christmas season, and we're celebrating Christ coming to us, Emmanuel, God with us. Lest we forget, the people in the first century, when Jesus was born, they did not think that that was the best plan either. No one was expecting the Savior of the world, especially the religious leaders of the first century. No one was expecting the Messiah of the world to come as a baby. It's not what they were expecting. They were not hoping, they were not thinking that that was actually best. They're expecting a really valiant warrior, kind of like medieval times, you know, on a joust and, you know, with a suit of armor and fighting. That's what they were expecting. That's the picture they had in mind. And who did they get? They got a baby born in a manger to a virgin that pooped and peed. Fully God, fully man. It's not what they were expecting. But yet, God works in ways that we don't expect. God works in, in, in ways that you and I may have never imagined. See, Salome was asking for a place of prominence for her sons because she thought that's what would make them great. What really was going to make them great, what really was make them stand out was if they were kind of preeminent and they were on either side of Jesus. But what does Jesus do? Jesus takes this opportunity to help all of his hearers understand what it really means to be great. And what did he say? He said that to be great is to be a servant. To be great is to be a servant. To his disciples, if you really want to understand greatness, then you have to understand what it means to serve other people. Look back at verse 26. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Isn't this incredible that Jesus turned on end what society said was actually important? Jesus turned upside down what the world said greatness really looked like. Because most of us still today would think to be great is to be in front of everyone. To be great is to be noticeable. To be great is to receive the awards. To be great is to have the largest following. To be great is to have the most massive bank account. To be great is to be a person of amazing influence, more social media followers than anybody else. None of those things are bad. But according to Jesus himself, to be great is actually to be a servant to be a servant, to not be as concerned about titles, to not be as concerned about all of the agendas of this world, but rather to say, you know what, the more I serve, the closer I'm getting to truly embodying what Jesus wants my life to look like and what Jesus prioritizing as really mattering. And so as you and I grow in our acts of service, as you and I grow in these, these opportunities to serve other people, whether that's in our family units, whether that's at our workplaces, whether that's here in our community, whether that's through serving opportunities through the church, see, it's those moments when you and I put ourselves out there and say, I want to serve, and it may not be glamorous. I mean, lest we forget, most acts of service are not very glamorous. I mean, you think about your family dynamic. You think about that, the ways that you show love to people in your family. Maybe your house is really dirty, and you clean your house and it's an act of service to your family because you love your family. And most of the people in your home probably do not line up and give you high fives and say, thanks, mom. Thanks, dad, for cleaning the house. They just start wrecking it up again. But you're doing that because you want some kind of order, but you also you love the people who are there. And you're trying to create the best possible environment that you can. It's not glamorous at all to do the dishes for your spouse. It's not glamorous 
to go across the street and rake your neighbor's yard. It's not glamorous to, to find a person in your community who's maybe a widow for the first holiday season and to go to them and say, is there any way I can help you this season? Is there anything that we can do for you? Is there any way that we can, you know, kind of be there for you this season? That's not glamorous. It's not glamorous to get here early at church and serve. I mean, I look across this room and I, and I see people who serve. You serve here in the life of our church. It's not glamorous to stand out there in the parking lot really, really early and, you know, and wave people in and point people where to go. It's not glamorous to serve in family ministry, but you do it. Why? Because Jesus tells us that that's really when we have the deepest understanding of the life that he's calling us to live is to be a servant. And you do those things not because you're looking for an award. You're not looking for an acknowledgement. Rather, you're doing it because it's an overflow of that relationship with Jesus Christ, and it manifests itself in serving other people. So when you and I look at our life, are we looking for what these ways that Jesus says life really matters? Greatness in God's economy, or are we looking for greatness in the world's economy? Because the world doesn't always necessarily tell us that to serve other people is what really makes us great. But Jesus says when you serve other people, that's when you truly find purpose. In fact, you see here on your screens that through Jesus we find purpose and we learn how to live a life of purpose. See, it's through Jesus that we find purpose and we learn how to live a life of purpose. Scroll down with me to verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus modeled this in that he came into this world not to be served, but rather to serve. He had the most humble of beginnings. It's what we celebrate this weekend ahead on his birthday, the most humble of lives. The world was expecting a valiant warrior, and we got a Savior who took up a towel and washed people's feet to serve them because he loved them, because he wanted to meet those needs in their life. And if you and I seek to follow Jesus, then it, it would stand to reason that this season we would say, you know, what are some ways that I, can, that I can seek to be Jesus to others? I want to identify with him. I want to find my purpose, and I want to live out that purpose. See, you and I find that purpose when we follow Jesus and when we give control of our life from ourselves over to Jesus. And we celebrate that here at Rolling Hills. We celebrate those life changes. We celebrate those next steps. When people make that commitment of faith to follow Jesus Christ, one of those next steps is baptism. You may notice that there's water back here today because in our 11 o'clock service today, we have two elementary kids that we're going to be celebrating baptism with. They have made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, and we're going to baptize them symbolically to be buried in their old way of living and to be raised in new life. And what I love about these two elementary students is that right now, even at an early age, they're already making a determination to say, I'm going to major in life in what really matters. And that's not the world's agenda, but that's God's agenda for me. And for all of us, I pray that if we've not made that, that commitment to follow Jesus, that today would be the day that we make that commitment. Or maybe we've never made that public profession of faith. Why not let today be the day? So, you know, I want to take that step of faith because I know that my purpose is found in him. And then you really understand the purpose for which you are here when you start serving the way that Jesus wants us to serve and to be passionate about the things that he wants us to be passionate about. Now, I realize that for a lot of us, we're entering into what we kind of call the home stretch of the year. 
Some of y'all have incredible jobs and Friday was your last day of work. And you're kind of kicked back and you've got a couple weeks to relax and nothing wrong with that. Take full advantage of this season. But it does stand to reason that on this holiday season, the season where we stop and reflect upon the birth of Jesus Christ, it would stand to reason that this could be a season of the year that we don't make life all about us, but rather how can we make life about other people. In fact, this is the season where we should be saying, how can I serve? How can I be involved in someone's life? I want to be sensitive to the needs of others. A good question for all of us to consider, and you see it here on your screen, a good question for all of us to consider is, am I looking for ways to model service this Christmas? Am I looking for ways to model service this Christmas, or am I making this season all about me? I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility consider others above yourselves. And not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. And what is he saying there? He's saying as we identify with Jesus Christ, that overflow in our life is to say, I don't want to consider myself better than others. I want to put the needs and the interests of others above my own, meaning I'm not going to make life about me. I don't want life to be all about vain conceit, but rather in humility. I want to be concerned in the interest of others. So what does that look like for you this week? It's a homework assignment for you. I've been giving you guys some homework in this sermon series. It's a homework assignment this week to say, what is one way that I can serve someone this Christmas week? I have a really strong suspicion that there's going to be a lot of baked goods being baked at many of your homes. Some of y'all, I mean, you can't find sugar or butter anywhere, meaning you have bought it. So it's, it's there, and, and you guys are ready. I mean, you've got cookies, you've got cakes, you've got all the things. What would it look like? to share some of those with some neighbors that you haven't met or to share that with someone in our community. I mean, when someone shows up at my doorstep with food, I never turn them away. (laughs) Please come, bring more. There's moments for us to make connections with our neighbors and our community by serving them. Maybe you can check in with a family in town that may not have a place to celebrate Christmas and say, what would it look like to invite them over? Or what would it look like to to be involved in their life at some point throughout the course of this week? For those of you that have kids, I encourage you to find some way this week to serve someone. And you may not have anything in your mind right now, but I trust you between now and Friday, you can get really creative and come up with something. Something, some way for your preschoolers, for your elementary, for your middle school, your high school students to value that we're not a family that makes life all about us. We want to make life about others and helping meet a need in the life of someone else. Now, why does all this matter? This all matters because the world is really cold right now. And I'm not talking temperature. It is cold today. But I'm not talking cold. The the world's cold and, and there's a lot of angst and there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of hurt. And there's a lot of struggles that people are going through. In fact, many people are struggling right now in their relationships. And there's something that happens when we serve people. See, serving changes things. Serving changes us. But serving changes. And this is what I've often seen, is that serving actually softens hearts. When you serve people, it, it, it serves to soften their heart. In fact, if you have some conflict that you're going through right now, I would encourage you to find some ways to, to perhaps serve in those settings, and you might be really pleasantly surprised at what happens when you serve. See, serving softens hearts. Why was Jesus such a model for serving? Because he was delivering really hard truths to people. He was calling them to a way of living that was 
a 180 from the way that they were currently living. And in doing so, even in delivering the hardest of truths to people, he was the first to kneel and wipe their feet with a towel because there was something about that servanthood that softened hearts and that made people more attracted to the message. In 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses uh, 9 and 10 and 11, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides. In serving, you, you, you bring the strength that God has provided you and you bring that to other people. From a very practical, everyday perspective, hearts are softened when people are served. You see people many times have a, a very angry physical demeanor that may change when you begin serving them because it's something, if you're doing it through the grace of God and the gifts that God has given you, God uses those acts in ways that can't even be described by human hands. I think about our wrapping station out at the mall. For those of you that are new to Rolling Hills, for the past decade plus, we've been wrapping gifts for people at the Cool Springs Galleria for over 10 years now. In fact, it popped up on my little time hop the other day, 10 years ago or 12 years ago when we started this thing, wrapping gifts, and we had like one little six-foot table and rolls of wrapping paper, and now it's this, you know, massive thing where there's thousands of gifts that are wrapped, and we do this for several days throughout the Christmas season. And there is not a shift that I have ever worked at that wrapping station where there is not someone across that table from me that says, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? People from the church are smiling. They're wrapping presents for free. They're meeting a a need that I need met in my life. And I try to pay them and they don't take any money. I try to give them a tip and they don't take any money. Why are you doing this? And it's this amazing opportunity for us to look them in the eyes and say, we're doing it because we love you, and God loves you, and our church loves you. You may or may not go to our church, and that doesn't matter to us. We love you, and we think you're valuable, and we want you to know how much we appreciate you. And you see this softening of heart. In fact, I was there last weekend, and there was this gentleman that walked up, and a really nice young man. I would say he was probably 25 years old, and, and we start talking, and he, he's from about an hour away from Franklin. And uh, we started chatting, and I was wrapping his presents, lots of them, actually. He just kept bringing things out of these bags. <laughs> um, and we have like a four-present limit, and I was like, oh, I can't tell this guy. So we're just chatting and whatever. And uh, he says to me, I really look forward to coming here every year to get my presents wrapped. And... Um, And I kind of start leaning into that a little bit more, and I looked down at my job that I was doing, and I thought, it's not because of the quality of the work (laughs) that's bringing you back every year. The more I talked to him, the more that I began to realize there is something about what was happening in this place that he was attracted to. And it was not the bows, and it was not the wrapping paper. It was the presence, it was the community, it was the feeling that he got by being around people who loved him and who was seeking to serve him. And see, in my prayer, 
is that his connection with Rolling Hills Community Church will grow to beyond just a wrapping station. But that there will be a day when he comes in this door or the door of one of our campuses and he meets Jesus Christ and his life is forever changed and perhaps, just perhaps, there'll be a year that he'll be standing behind that table and he'll be attempting to wrap a gift and that there'll be someone else that will come and that he'll be able to say, you matter and I see you. It's why we serve. It's why we seek to embody Jesus to our community. When you think about your interpersonal relationships, if your interpersonal relationships are not where they need to be right now, I would encourage you to evaluate how much serving is happening in those relationships. Maybe the relationship has got really one-sided and you're always on the receiving end and the bank account has run dry because you've never invested in that relationship. You've never served that other partner in your relationship. You've never reciprocated. You've, you've not taken the time to identify with what Jesus says really matters. I think about what happens here in the life of our church. And serving in the life of Rolling Hills Community Church or your church home is so, so important. And if you're yet to step up to serve here in the life of Rolling Hills Community Church, I would encourage you to pray through that and say, what could that look like for me starting in January of 2023? We have some incredible opportunities to serve. I mean, I think about what happens with our next generation ministry right now. And they're being really quiet today, but sometimes you hear them through the wall over there, and you'll hear the babies cry, you'll hear the songs or those kinds of things. But it's, it's incredible to see what's happening. And I think about how special it's going to be today to baptize two of our elementary students, which is a perfect example as to why serving on that side of the center block wall matters. Because there are adults that show up every week in the life of our preschoolers and our kids and our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, and they tell them, God loves you. God has a plan for your life. Jesus wants to be your best friend forever. And those truths of the word pour into those little brains and soak into those little hearts. And there's these precious moments when these kids understand it and they realize what Jesus has done for them. And they make that profession of faith to follow Jesus Christ. And we celebrate those decisions as a church family. But guys, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. We need more people we're moving into a building to where we're doubling in size of rooms, doubling in size of needs. And I, I can tell you from firsthand experience, there is incredibly valuable, life-giving things that happen. And you're going to find when you step up to serve over there, and if I brought up every family ministry volunteer here and gave them the microphone, they would tell you this. You think that you are the one that's going to make a difference and you walk away changed because you grow and you realize, you realize in many times the questions they ask, what you don't know about the Bible. <laughs> and it causes you to grow deeper. And so whether it's there or whether it's somewhere else, I just encourage you. Not because we're making some desperate plea, but because Jesus says it's really what identifies you with a deeper understanding of what it means to have a kingdom impact to serve. And so you can make a little note on your card that says, hey, I want to talk to somebody about serving, and we will gladly connect those dots for you because it's so significant and it's so powerful and it's so life-giving. And as we close today in your own personal relationships, all of the personal relationships that are present in this room, I encourage you as you go out of these doors today to outdo one another in serving, but don't keep score, okay? Outdo one another in serving, but don't keep score. And this is where a lot of relationships go kind of sour because we remind everybody in the relationship how much we're serving them. 
you know, like I've been keeping score and the tally mark says I'm up to 10 and you're only at two. So if you could step up your game a little bit. No, it's outdoing one another in serving, but not keeping score. In fact, we gave you a little acts of service coupon today as a little fun takeaway. And so maybe there's somebody in your house that you want to serve and you would say, you know, I'm going to give you the coupon. You can check this in. You can, you, can, you can hold me accountable to this whenever you want to do this. If there are kids in the room today, um, I promise you there is a parent in your house that would love to see their name and something written right there. So it's a great way to let your fam- families know that you want to serve as well. But in Romans chapter 12, as we close today, in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, listen what's Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, and honor one another above yourselves. I don't need to remind you how much serving matters. But what the scriptures remind us is that we are to honor one another above ourselves. We're not to keep score. We're to be devoted to one another in love, not keeping tally marks of how many serving moments I had versus how many you had but realizing that there's maybe some things in our life that need to change. And so if there's something that you want to grow in, if there's some goals that you want to set for this next year, what would it look like to be known as a person who serves? To be known in your house, to be known in your community, to be known in your place of employment as a person who serves other people. Because the Son of God came to serve, not to be served. And we identify with Him We identify with his teachings when we put ourselves out there and say, you know what, I want to be about these acts of service to those in my life, to those that I have never even met yet, and trusting that God uses them in ways that you can't even see to accomplish the work that only he can accomplish. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. And lastly, from the church family to your family, Merry Christmas.